Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, welcome to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Volumes 1 through 8 available at Amazon in ebook and paperback. And volumes 1 through 6 at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon in audio format. And by the way, my Exorcist book, Truth and Lies, was just approved at Audible. So now The Exorcist, Truth and Lies, and The Exorcist, Diabolica are available in audiobook as well. So please take advantage of that. And now, may I welcome in my brother, K.J. Sheehan. (laughs) Hey, Bill, how's it going? Marvelous, marvelous. You know, and the audience doesn't know that my brother, K.J., is becoming quite the model aviation builder. Oh, that's true. The the COVID Air Force, as I call it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that little Stuka dive bomber you're working on is quite the uh, work of art over there, brother. Yeah, they're coming out all right. I'm, I'm pleased with them. Uh, you know, for the audience, I I used to build a lot of little plastic model airplanes, I mean, in my teens, you know, before I was a teenager and in my teens, and then uh, had one here for a couple of years on the shelf. Hadn't built any since then. And uh, when COVID-19 struck and we were locked in, uh, one of my kids said, Dad, why don't you build that thing? And I was like, you know what? Why don't I build that thing? (laughs) And now I got four down and uh, about three more in the hangar ready to be built. No, it's excellent, and uh, I could tell that your heart and soul is going into it, you know, trying to get the paint correct, and they they all look like they were weathered, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, in use, you know, and that's the cool part about it. Yeah, that's that's the coolest thing. Like, I never really did that going back 100 years ago. You know, two big differences. Now, like, weathering them, which, you know, the first one I told you, Bill, when you you have something that's perfect and it looks like it rolled out of the factory and then you start putting like ugly paint all over it, you know, <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to pull the trigger. But then once you're in, you're in, you know, and you just keep going. And they, I think they're even more beautiful when they're ugly. No. Know? Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And that's the whole idea of making like a correct diorama. Oh, exactly. It, it's exactly. got to look like the event is, is happening, you know, like it's oh, going yeah. on, you know. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, that's the big difference. And then, uh, Bill, uh, you know, you can vouch for me, but the kids, my kids don't believe me. Um, You know, I bought a little airbrush with a little compressor. And it's not like, I mean, I know a lot of people are struggling out there, but it's not a very expensive purchase, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, a little bit north of $50 for the combo. And But you know, Bill, when I was a kid, we didn't have much. And I would have the little, like, $4 airbrush that I bought from my paper route. And then I don't know if you remember, but I had an old VW tire that I would pump up with air in the garage and bring it in and hook the airbrush to it in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it works, you know what I mean? It worked great. I mean, built some cool models back then, but I tell the kids that and they think I'm telling them I walked to school uphill both ways in the (laughs) snow with no shoes. And we did. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the absolute truth, folks. I had this old, dirty spare tire, and I would pump it up with a hand pump in the garage and 
roll it into the kitchen and put it on the floor and screw the airbrush into it until it ran out of air, and then I go out and pump it up again. And that was the kitchen in our 18-room mansion. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> well, my brother, what do you got up your sleeve tonight? Oh, man, we are going into the other oddity segment tonight. Nice. Very odd, Bill. I'm pretty sure you don't know this one. But All right. We're going to talk about the Monkey Man of New Delhi, India. Really? The Monkey Man? Monkey Man. Not to be confused with, like, the Rolling Stones. Or the Monkey Monkeys. Man. <laughs> or the <laughs> Monkeys, yeah. <laughs> so have you heard of this guy? Uh you know, I'm not sure. Is this is this this fellow that actually has the ability to climb around like sides of buildings and over houses and stuff as as like a a, a monkey would? He did some like jumping ability and probably some climbing ability. Wow! And he's going to sound a little bit like somebody else we covered a while back that did some jumping and climbing as well. Oh, the old uh, Spring Heels Jack. Spring Heels Jack. Wow. Oh, that's yeah, kind of so. cool. All right, let it rip, bro. Yeah, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So uh, this, uh, first we'll talk a little bit about uh, New Delhi and Old Delhi. Uh, uh, New Delhi, the capital uh, of India and the capital of, uh, or what's generally called the National Capital Territory of Delhi, NCT. That's like the greater area of Delhi. Okay. And and Bill, as you know, I've been there a bunch of times, uh, as recently as a year ago. And uh, it is a pretty cool place. You know, it is a, a huge place. So, you know, the, the uh, National Capital Territory of Delhi, that larger area, is about 17 million people. Wow. I mean, that is a packed city. Oh, and when you're there, it feels like 100 million people. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like, I had to read it twice when I was looking up the facts. I'm like, 17 million? It's got to be like 100 million. Yeah, but the way they get get about over there and the walking and the kind of ramshackle modes of transportation on the streets is, like, really bizarre. Oh, man, it's the only place where you ever see, like, five people, like a whole family of five on like a Honda 65cc motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. I kid yeah. you not. Riding on two flats. Uh, you know, and I'm not making fun of the people of India in any way. Like, first off, like a wild place to go, but the people are so nice. Yeah. And I mean, just wonderful people and also not much of a language barrier, you know, because it used to be a British colony. That's right. And a lot of the folks learned the Queen's English, you know, mm-hmm. so for yeah. being uh, at a place where it feels like you're as far away as the moon, you can still communicate with almost everybody there. Yeah, uh, very, very interesting. And very uh, uh, loving people over there. That's what I mean. Super loving, you know, yeah. like... Um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I was looking at it and uh, looking at the stats, right, to do this story. And, you know, I think of Delhi and New Delhi, the whole area, as, of course, there's a lot of technology there. That's what brings me there. It's a high-tech industry. A lot of really, really poor people, you know, mm-hmm. unbelievably poor. And then I was looking up the stats, and it's home to 23,000 millionaires and 18 billionaires in Delhi, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah, well, somebody's making money. <laughs> somebody's making money, right. There's a big, big gap. Now, like the, question, these the question is, is the monkey man loving? <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to go there now. So uh, these reports of the monkey man started about 20 years ago, Bill, in May of 2001. And uh, the reports started of a strange monkey-like creature that was appearing at night and attacking people. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, you know, the eyewitness accounts were often a little inconsistent with one another, like with two basic groupings of accounts, which we'll go through. But, you know, they described, some of them described the creature as being about four feet tall, 
covered in thick black hair, get this, with a metal helmet, metal claws, glowing red eyes, and three buttons on its chest. Oh, my God. What the heck? What the heck? So, you know, I had in my notes here, Bill, rack your brains a little bit, but who does this remind you of? But you got it already, right? <laughs> you Good know, but the helmet. Uh, Jack with the metal claws and the metal helmet. A little more than four feet tall, though, you know, but. <laughs> yeah, but you know something? Uh, uh, first of all, if it was any type of uh, person, uh, trying to dress up as uh, a, a monkey or a little ape, that would be really weird, you know. But the the helmet and the the metal claws and whatnot—that's very very strange. So I'm with you. Like I was going to say, like yeah, Bill, very strange for a person to dress up like a monkey that's four feet tall. But even stranger for a monkey to put on a metal helmet and metal claws yeah. and have three buttons on its chest. Yeah, that, most monkeys don't have a wardrobe assistant. I'm just thinking, like, I think that's even stranger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, so this other population of descriptions, get this, they describe the monkey man as being up to eight feet tall. Oh, and very muscular, and that it would leap from building to building. A little bit like Springheel Jack. Yeah, and, you know, uh, no matter what the distance is between buildings, that's just weird behavior, leaping around on rooftops. <laughs> Unless you're you Spider-Man. Know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Can he sway from a web? Take a look. Overhead, look out! Yeah, there you go. Here come the monkey man. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So, so then, like the people who were attacked by this monkey man, they reported being scratched, and uh, you know, by some reports, two or three different people actually died, but not from the injuries from the monkey man, but actually from the panic. That was caused thinking that they saw the attacker or that they did see the attacker. Yeah, just like overwhelming, uh, heart-stopping fright. Yeah, I mean, not quite scared to death, but scared to, like, fall down the stairs or jump off of a building because you were terrified of this creature coming right. at you. In other words, doing anything you could to avoid it and in so doing, you know, fatality occurred. Exactly, exactly. Wow, that's really bizarre. I t yeah, I mean, this is the other oddities segment. <laughs> now, the, the, other, the other people who saw the larger of the two, also with the helmet, the claws, and the eyes and all they that? They didn't say that in the, in the uh, article. So, but I'm, I'm thinking, yes, you know, like it's just because it's all of the articles somehow feature this metal helmet and metal claws. Now, where were some of these articles? The this this wasn't like India's version of Mad Magazine, was it? No, no. <laughs> Alfred E. Newman on the cover. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but it is a concentrated series of accounts all around uh, a time in May in 2001. So a little bit like, you know, Mothman or something like that, where it's all the sightings are concentrated in one uh, period of time. So we're talking about a month's time. Exactly. And nobody was actually, like, murdered by this thing. No, just, like, scratched and bites. And we're going to get to some of the bites here. So wow. this, uh, this comes out of an article. I couldn't figure out where it was written, but the headline, it was written in May 16, 2001. And the headline is, I know it was picked up by, like, Reuters and things like that. That's where I saw it. Um, the headline was Mike, Monkey Man Fears Rampant in New Delhi. Hmm. Yeah. And they say here, Indian media has reported that two terrified residents have fallen to their death on hearing that an ape-like attacker was nearby. Police reported that they were no closer to solving the mystery of an ape-like creature, which residents accuse of clawing and biting dozens of people in New Delhi over the past fortnight. Wow. 
Yeah. And they said, this is the police. They said, we have consulted doctors about the bites, and they say they were some sort of an animal and not a human. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. You know, Uh, the other other thing, too, over there, Kev, is... You know, we get a little cushy here with the AC. You know, I have central air in my house. But over there, the majority of those city dwellers, it's windows open 24 hours a day. It's so funny because, again, you don't know what we're going to talk about, and that's exactly where we're going. But before we go there, you know, they say um, the, uh, the information we have is pointing towards an animal. But we checked with the local zoo, and they said no animal had escaped from there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they they blamed some of the fears, the police blamed some of the fears on, you know, folks worried about supernatural creatures and that they may have been exacerbated by the sweltering heat in mm-hmm. the city and the darkness because it's been so hot at that point in time that they uh, had to cut off the electricity at night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have, they regularly have brownouts or blackouts. Oh, dude, they have blackouts all day long. Yeah. Like, yeah. all day long. Like, power outages. You're sitting, I'll be over there sitting in a conference room. The power will go out five times in a three-hour meeting, and nobody even thinks twice of it. Like, yeah, it's I'll like be nothing. looking, and people don't even notice it, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you have people over there that climb up telephone poles on ladders to hook a wire up to run to their radio in their house. Well, that's me, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got people getting electrocuted in the street over there doing wiring jobs. And and by the way, it is super hot over there all the time. So, yeah. you know, last year I went over to Delhi and uh, on the weekend I went to see the Taj Mahal up in Agra, which is like three hours away. And I'd never been, as many times I've been to India, I never went to the Taj Mahal, which is spectacular. Mm -hmm. But when I was up at the Taj, it was like 115 or 120 degrees. Wow. I mean, wicked hot. And it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't a record or anything. Yeah. And that's like, that's like Death Valley heat over here. Oh, no, it's humid too. Yeah. So not dry, not a dry heat. It's just... Awful. Wow. Wicked hot. Yeah, so so it's funny. So the police, they started to urge the state-run power company to try to ensure uninterrupted power supply from dawn till dusk. Uh, I'm sorry, from from dusk till dawn to to try to, uh, you know, ease the panic, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then this, uh, the public's fear of the monkey man, they write in this article, was so great in an area uh, called Noida, a New Delhi suburb, uh, that folks caught and beat up a four-foot-tall wandering Hindu mystic, mistaking him for the monkey man. <laughs> it's kind of funny, unless you're the Hindu mystic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fists and boots clobbering you. It's not oh, too man. funny. Yeah, um, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> God forgive me. I'm just picturing this four foot Hindu mystic getting shoved around in well, some it, dark it's alley. Worse, Bill. When you read the whole story, he's in the forest, like performing some type of like you know Hindu rituals and stuff like that. And these people all come up to him. It's kind of like young Frankenstein, you know, with like torches and that, thinking he's a monkey man. And he's out there praying and doing a ritual. Right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Here he is. Let's get him. Get him. (laughs) So uh, the police had these, you know, uh, sketch artists put together some portraits uh, from the uh, victims of the creature uh, and they put together the drawings. I'll put them up on BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And, the, the, you know, the, the drawing suggested that it's more human than pure monkey. And that's mm-hmm. worth mentioning because I didn't talk about it earlier, but I've been in some of the cities of India, not necessarily Delhi, where there's some big honking monkeys running around that'll scare the bejesus out of you, you know, like... Uh, don't those monkeys ever attack people? They do, they do. They, they will uh, come after you and howl at you and stuff like that, and some of them are pretty big, you know. Well, you look what just what's happened around this country with some of these people who think they can own a chimpanzee. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that one poor woman had her uh, face ripped off, was blinded, her finger was bit off. I mean, she was a unrecognizable uh, uh, mess after that chimpanzee was done with her. Yeah, that's been going on for years. You know, yeah, They're yes. not treated right or something goes wrong, right? Yep, yep. They just get ticked off and start attacking humans. Yep, yep. So I guess one of the newspapers over there called the Indian Express quoted a resident of this uh, suburb called Noida as saying that the creature as small as a cat bit her fingers and two of her husband's teeth were knocked out by a metallic hand. <laughs> yes, Weird. you know, no matter what we think about the potential of a monkey of some kind being at the the root of this, you can't deny the reports of the helmet, the glowing eyes, the buttons, the claws. That's not a monkey. No, I know. And the same person, or I'm sorry, same area, two houses away, they said it was a monkey, all right, and about four feet tall. But as soon as I grabbed it, it turned itself into a cat with tawny glowing eyes. <laughs> so really weird. Well, man, put the hookah down, brother. <laughs> that guy might have gone to sleep and forgot to take the hose out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, some victims in the record, in the report said uh, wears a helmet. Others insist that he has metal claws without a helmet, has a shaggy black hide. And uh, some said that it possibly had on roller skates. <laughs> hey, I promised the other oddities. Ah... <laughs> uh. I got the but, boogie but. fever. <laughs> so during this period, what they call the Monkey Man Reign of Terror, um, you know, he struck so many times across the Capitol but that, that some of the police officers at that time thought that there must be more than one Monkey Man. Wow. Yeah. A family, a troop of monkeys, as they yeah, call them. A little gang of Monkey Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they were sighted going down the street in New Delhi on a half dozen 65cc Hondas. The monkey, <laughs> the monkey men. Carrying axes. It's like a gang. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, and in this article, Bill, they say the Delhi residents, it seems, are not the first victims of this phenomenon. A wow. scratcher known as spring Jack appeared in London. In 1837, he too had ironclad fingers, glowing red eyes, wore dark clothes and scratched his victims. And he was never found. Yeah. And Spring Heels Jack obviously was a totally different description than this uh, monkey man. Although we had two there, right? We had a four footer and an eight footer. Yeah. Uh, Spring Heels Jack was always described as being tall and slender. Yeah, I think like six foot and skinny. Yeah. Jo- ex- extremely uh, agile in his ability to leap over things. Yes, and, but but the uh, steel glove, you know, with the nails on it, you know, to scratch you with, and the helmet, the the metallic helmet, and some said the metallic vest. Yeah, just really weird. Really that's weird. that's the showstopper there. This get up. Yep. Uh, Super strange. Very, very freaking strange indeed, you know? Yeah, so that's the Monkey Man of New Delhi. Well, great stuff, Kev. <laughs> yeah, and uh, no monkey men around my parts. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I have a fantastic uh, story here. Uh You're about to hear it, and it was told to me by Frederick Iverson, a resident of Winnipeg, uh, Canada. And this is what Frederick had to say that he saw on this particular day in September. As I told you, Bill, in our earlier conversation, I had booked a 10-day hunt through a registered outfitter Class A guide service in Fort Steele, British Columbia. A 50% deposit was needed at the time of the booking date, and the price at the time, which was the early 60s, was $1,500 for 10 days. 
excluding a $5 tag fee and a $60 trophy fee. All of the equipment and transportation was provided by the outfitter, and I was only responsible for my rifle, ammunition, bedroll, and clothing that I would need. Now, keep in mind, this was in the early 60s that this happened. I took the 800-mile flight on Pacific Western Airlines and had arrived on September 8th, which was the first day of the season for elk. Both white and black-tailed deer, bull moose, and black bears. I always like to book the opening day in hopes of being the first to sight the grandest of trophies in the region. This is a pristine area to hunt, and its location in close proximity to the upper Midwest states made it an excellent place to go for those who may have a limited amount of time or resources. There are also numerous fire, mining, logging, and guide trails, which give the hunters excellent access to the most remote areas of the Kootenay. Now, where have we heard the Kootenay before like a hundred times? Exactly. A large amount of this area had been logged and burned, which created huge expanses of cover to browse in. The topography changed throughout the Kootenay depending on where you were. There were basically four zones in which to hunt and seek out your prey. Beginning at the lowest levels, you had the lower Rocky Mountain Trench, which consisted mainly of somewhat gently rolling hills covered in yellow pine. It then transitioned into the main valleys of what is known as the Upper Trench, which was fairly heavily forested in Douglas fir throughout. You then moved into what is known as the subalpine area, which was steep and rugged terrain dotted with forests of spruce. And then finally, you move into the alpine region, where mountain sheep and goats could also be taken. The animal population in this area consisted of sheep, elk, grizzly bear, deer, cougar, moose, caribou, mountain goats, and black bears. And if you wanted a shot at a trophy, this was the place to be. So it was opening day and my guide Hank drove me up into the vicinity of the upper trench. This was, as Hank had told me, the best area in his opinion to find a trophy bull elk. Now, for those of you who don't hunt, the guide helps to decide which animals are the oldest and least productive of the many herds. In taking these animals, there's minimal, if any, effect on the health of the herd, and this is just one of the many reasons to have a guide with you on the hunt. So the two of us worked our way into the timber, and Hank began to make some calls. During this first afternoon alone, we had seen several large bulls and numerous cows, none of which we could get close enough to. And to tell you the truth, Hank was not ready to call any of the bulls we had seen a trophy. But I am sure that later in the season, some of these that we passed on would be taken by other hunters. <coughs> Excuse me. The following day, we began by scoping out the fringes of the lower Rocky Mountain Trench, which bordered the forest we had been in. We were hiking our way through a variety of trees and terrain, stopping occasionally when Hank worked his binoculars across the surrounding area. There was an incredible amount of wildlife around us. We had seen a large grizzly walking at about 600 yards, which always sent a chill down my spine. One of my greatest fears being running into one of those up close and personal. They are quite formidable when you see them at close range. The two of us spent the next seven hours, much as we had the day before, 
combing the landscape for the perfect bull. Although we had once again seen numerous candidates, we had passed in hopes of a better find tomorrow. <coughs> Excuse me, let me grab a little drink of water here. I'm drying out. Now, generally, I would have taken one of the bulls we had seen already. But I had eight days left, and there was no chance of me going home empty. The following day, the weather turned ugly. It was wet and cold. Having dressed for the day, we headed back into the upper trench once again. We made our way into an area that was about two miles due west of where we had been on the first afternoon. It was maybe two hours into the morning when we heard a loud howl coming from the forest to our north. It was an unmistakably loud, resonating, deep howl, unlike anything I had ever heard before. And Hank said nothing. When I broke the ice and asked him, What the hell was that, Hank? He calmly said, I'm not sure. I asked him, Is that a grizzly? He answered, well, they don't really sound like that. Now, we were heading into and scoping out the area, which was where this howl had emanated from, which at this point was not my idea of a good time. Finally, later that afternoon, after hiking many miles, we found ourselves perched above a downhill slope maybe six or seven hundred yards away from a clearing below us. Hank turned to me and said, There he is, right by that group of trees to the right-hand side. He handed me the binoculars and I could see this majestic bull making his way around the clearing. We immediately decided to descend, keeping ourselves upwind of the bull in hopes of getting into position for a shot. After our descent, we found ourselves seeing the bull at maybe 200 yards and decided to shoot. I thought my first shot had missed high and left, which I couldn't believe. I quickly chambered a second and squeezed the trigger. This time... I thought I saw a cloud of spray, indicating I had hit lung, but the bull took off. We could see the direction in which it had started to run, and as we got down to the clearing, there was some blood, but not as much as we thought we would see. Hank and I began the arduous task of tracking the animal, but the terrain and brushing here was not working to our advantage. We were two hours in and still had not found the bull. Staying the course of where Hank had been convinced this bull had gone, we started to hear what sounded like voices coming from up ahead. They were loud and boisterous, and neither of us could understand a word of what was being said. Hank whispered, I don't have any idea who could be out here, but let's be careful because they may be armed and dangerous. I'll be honest with you. I wanted to turn back right then and there, but I followed Hank. We reached a point where the voices became exceedingly louder and Hank started to point at something moving in the pines. I saw some black flashes of fur moving back and forth, exactly where these two unknown voices were coming from. Their words sounded like gibberish and were completely unintelligible to our ears. Hank waved for me to back out, and he followed. We didn't stop walking for maybe a mile, and he kept telling me not to talk. When we had finally made it clear of whatever danger he thought we may be in, he asked me how it felt to encounter the hairy men. 
Now, I had no knowledge of anything known as a hairy man. But Hank started to spin quite a yarn about Indian folklore. It was then that he told me about the howling we had heard earlier, stating that he knew it was them having heard it before many times. His feeling was that more than like more likely than not, they had found our kill before we got there, even though we didn't see it or them per se. Hank said that several years ago he had seen one walking across the alpine zone, but had never dreamed of having anything occur up close and personal like today especially not this odd kind of talking that we had heard. Their speech reminded me of the raccoons in my yard. I hear them frequently chattering back and forth as they walk around in the dark looking for food. What do you think of that, Kev? (laughs) The hairy man. I mean, that's pretty freaking creepy, you know? That is really creepy. <laughs> and this guy, the guide Hank, wasn't letting on to him initially about the howl. Yeah, yeah. But then after they banged this uh, bull and were having a tough time finding it, uh, as they approached, they saw something black. I guess Hank knew what it was at the time. Yeah. And the gibberish was that language we hear about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So his feeling... Waving them out was not to take a few shots into the trees and scare them off or whatever, but, like, you know, to get the heck out of there and that they found the prize. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can imagine with these guides, you know, they're basically getting paid to have a really good hunt, you know, not to not to have an excuse for not having a good hunt because they saw a hairy man. You know, so he doesn't want to startle them, have them make a noise. I mean, the people he's guiding, you know, until he has to tell them about what it is. So it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, and maybe there's a certain sense of danger. Like, I got to get, not only do I want to get out of here, oh, but yeah, I've got a paid client. Them. Yeah. I meant so. when he heard the howls, like, why distract the guys with what it is, you know? We, right, we got to right. get a hunt done here. Right, and he was... Fortunate or unfortunate enough to not only hear a howl, but then to kind of get a glimpse of the and hear this gibberish, uh, but not really seeing a full blown Sasquatch, you know? No, I mean, and it's wild, Bill, like hearing the howl, you know, um, seeing a Sasquatch, but it's got to be even scarier when you're near the Sasquatch and you hear this like gibberish, right? Some people say it's like Russian or Chinese or something like no or like no language they ever heard. I mean, I think the only thing creepier than seeing a Sasquatch is hearing Sasquatch talking to one another. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's just weird. Yeah. So it is. uh, The whole thing freaks me out. I mean, say what you will. Uh, I had a conversation with this fellow the other day from our audience, and uh, he was telling me about uh, his encounter that was in a tent with his friend. And uh, I think they were over by the uh, Seven Sisters Wilderness or the, uh, uh, oh, uh, I can't think of it right now. Uh, Anyways... Uh, he was in the tent, the other fellow was asleep, and the fire had dwindled down to nothing. And they were camping near a uh, creek that made a fair amount of noise. You know, it wasn't right. like a little trickling stream. You could hear it. He heard something walking up to the tent that was bipedal. Thump, thump, thump. You know, he could tell it wasn't a bear or an elk. And he knew enough about uh, the outdoors to know that most animals, when they come in to sniff, come low. Right. They have their snout down and they're sniffing around the base of the tent, not the top. Right. So this thing came thumping over to the tent 
and he heard it heavy breathing and sniffing up by the top vent on the tent. Oh, yeah. This was, uh, he wrote in, right? And you ended up talking did. to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we did, did that letter last last podcast or the podcast before, but we hadn't talked about you chatting with him. Yeah, well, you know, like I love to talk to people. And uh, I had a good conversation with him. And he said he knew from the sound of the lung capacity exactly, and this the sniffing volume. that it, this was not a, 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 a regular animal in the forest. He thought it was a Sasquatch, and he was actually afraid for his life. Yeah. Uh, and then the thing turned and walked away. And once again, folks, him and his buddy had a pocket knife between them. Mm. So, you know, when I tell you always carry more gun than you think you're going to need, that's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't bring the pocket knife with you. Yeah. yeah. Unless you got to fly on the airline or something. Hey, what do you mean, Bill? My pocket knife's four inches long. <laughs> Unbelievable, you know. Wow, creepy though. And up there again in British Columbia, right? Hotbed. The Kootenay. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the Kootenay, if I've heard it once, I've heard it 20 times. Yep, exactly. Uh, And the early 1960s, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that was a long time ago, you know, which just, it just shows you these things have been around for, heck yeah. Who knows, hundreds or thousands of years. Uh, known and unknown accounts of them. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, there's, uh, once again, you know, where's the evidence? Right there. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> you know, but of course, if you don't believe anybody, nothing's evidential, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's unbelievable. Uh, by the way, a big shout out to Sean, my buddy over in Idaho. Uh, Sean, Kevin, apparently is sending me out something that I'm going to be very happy to receive. A head of a Bigfoot? Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) And I don't want to mention what I think it is. But when I get it, if it's what I think it is, uh, we are going to have quite the conversation about it, and Uh. uh, we are definitely going to post it on our website. We have to dedicate an episode to this. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, Kev, I may even have to send Sean a book. Oh. Yeah, think of it. Maybe you could send out two books, one to me and one to Sean. (laughs) I mean, while Uh, you're packaging things up and signing Yeah, but then I'd have to use two envelopes. (laughs) And by the way, I'm feeling a little bit generous today. So why don't we have a little contest for an autographed book? Ooh, very good. And here's what you have to do, my dear listeners. I want you to send me where you believe the next location of fantastic video footage will come from regarding a Sasquatch. All I want you to do is tell me what state and where you think it will happen, and why. Oh, I like it. All right, so send that out to BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Go on our contact link, and just write a little essay on the how, where, when, and why the next great Bigfoot footage will come from. And if I select you, you will get an autographed copy of one of the Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters book. So there you have it. Nice. And don't be intimidated by the essay. Neither Bill or I are (laughs) English majors, but that's probably not a shock to you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what do you mean, Brolinski? Hey. (laughs) I pick things up and I put things (laughs) down. Put them down. Arnold. <laughs> All right, bro. So what do we got from our listeners Oh, today? we got some good listener mail, as usual. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. The first one comes from June in Germany. And as I can tell, 
June is not from Germany. She seems to be from the Emerald Isle. Ah, very nice. Yes, yes. And she says, hi, Bill and Kevin. That's that's good right there. <laughs> Just wanted to tell you how much I enjoy the podcast. My husband and I are stationed in Germany, and I first heard of your books on Sasquatch Chronicles. She says, you guys are some awesome Shanake. <laughs> no, you I know hope that's good. Is? I hope it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's a Gaelic uh, word. That's how I'm guessing she's Irish. And uh, it means kind of a historian or storyteller ah. in Gaelic. So very nice. Yeah, and I she like says, that. we've been listening for a week at bedtime and love falling asleep to the creepy stories. Yeah. <laughs> So, I hope you love the monkey man coming in your window tonight, June. <laughs> so God bless you, June. You might want to latch the window after <sighs> listening to the monkey man. <laughs> and she says, you guys have a grand sense of humor, too. Great work and slante. And slante to you, June. <laughs> well, I guess if they're stationed in Germany, they're in the uh, military. Some kind of military. So thank you for your service. Hey, do you think they wear helmets and have claws? <laughs> and buttons on their chest? They definitely have buttons. <laughs> uh, June, thanks a lot for writing into us. And it's Thank nice you. to hear uh, uh, a kind-hearted word from the listeners. That, you know, it, it does, uh, does our hearts good, believe me, when you people write into us. So no doubt. don't be shy. Send us a letter, even if it's just to say hello and uh, call yeah, us we, uh, we, Shanake. We, we, what is it, Kevin? Shanake. Shanake. Yeah, so and and anytime you can include uh Gaelic word, you know, Gaelic uh blessings or Gaelic references, that's bonus. <laughs> I love it, man. It's it's so cool to have these people from all over the globe. It's fantastic. Chiming fantastic. in with us, you know. All right. So Lou writes in next. Lou. Hey Louis. Hey Louis. He says, Hello, Bill and Kevin. I'm a new listener. That recently found your podcast on on iTunes. You guys have been laughing out loud often. Hearing <laughs> Bill talk, I couldn't help but want to know where he was from. Just as I suspected, New York. You're both <laughs> doing a great job. And then Bill, get ready. He says, DVDs are a thing of the past. Everything is streamed online these days. But if you must have them, Amazon has everything. Forgive me if I'm a little late to the game. <laughs> and guess where Lou is from, Bill? I know where Lou is from. Ronkonkoma. Yeah, he's a Ronkonkoma rowdy. Exactly. <laughs> and for those in the audience, that's where Bill and I grew up. Lake Ronkonkoma. <laughs> I don't know if Ronkonkoma is the same as it used to be. You got to tell me, man. I haven't been there in ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, used to be a lot of freaks and weirdos and hippies wandering around down in town. Now it's all freaks, weirdos, and hippies. Yeah, yeah. Now everybody's a freak. <laughs> it's and a not weirdo. a lot. It's everybody. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Louis. Louis, thanks for writing in, Lou. <laughs> Say hi to no, the Lake and the Barbarian Inn. Yeah. <laughs> That's too bad they knocked that place know, down. That's you know? long gone. You know, I used to go there for uh, the uh, Boy Scouts uh, Silver Arrow and uh, Gold Arrow dinners. Ah. And uh, I don't know if you remember him, Frankie Majewski and his sister. Yeah. They used yeah. to play accordions over there. Oh, I was. I never went to those affairs. Yeah, I mean. You know, it was a real German place, you know? Yeah, they yeah had... absolutely. I called it Barbarian, but it's the Bavarian end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was, was that authentic. Was, that was a go-to place back in the day, and yeah. now it's nothing. You wouldn't right even know it the was lake. there. Right on the lake. Amazing, amazing. Real close to Little Vincent's Pizza. Yeah. Right? And Yeah, uh, now that's the real deal. Vinny's the real pie deal. is Vinny's. great. And then I used to play lacrosse for a bar there called Christopher's. Uh-huh. Yeah, which was fun. Right down uh -huh. from Little Vinny's. Yeah, that was in that little, like, strip mall over yeah, there, right? Yeah, strip mall. Everything's yep. a strip mall. 
Yep, yep. Uh, that's great stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Lou, you're bringing back the memories. All right, we're going to go to Chris next. And Chris is in the southwest of the UK. Mm. So time for your accent, Bill. What are you trying to say, brother? <laughs> he says, uh, I live in an area called Whirlbury. No, you don't. You're lying. <laughs> when, when you guys, when, when would you guys like me to call time of day wise? What area in the U.S. are you in? So I can gauge this. He says he has a lot more detail to what comes below. <laughs> so he says, my property butts right up next to a set of woods called Whirlbury Woods or Weston Woods. The woods are a beautiful place to live next to, and they have been around a long time. They've proven to be some 2,300 years old. This is due in part to there being an ancient Britain Iron Age fort inside the woods, although, although this is basically now a hill and some rubble. Many ancient artifacts have been found in the woods, arrowheads and the like, and also 18 or so human remains. The woods also have a darker past. One murder has been committed in the woods that we know of, to which no suspect has yet been found. Regarding this wolf-like creature that I write about, I myself have had one clear visual sighting on a very windy night in which the creature I saw attacked and killed a deer. I was in, and I was intently watching the deer when it attacked it. When and after this happened, the wolf creature pushed itself up off of the deer's body and stood on its rear legs. After looking at each other, I was then verbally shadowed after hearing very loud noises next to me from something else I couldn't see next to me in the woods. Whilst this happened, my dog would not take her eyes off of the trees next to me with his tail stiff as a board as I walked slowly back out of the woods. I have also had one sighting in which the trees above me shook like crazy. There have also been many verbal instances in which lots of very, very loud howling takes place. I now, after having had myself visual sighting, only walk my dog on the perimeter rather than on the inside of the woods. Sounds like a good call. <laughs> yeah. I contacted, uh, I, he originally contacted me uh, saying he had some type of possible dogman or wolfman sighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just haven't gotten, you know, Kev, the time zone thing and work and everything is very odd to try to figure out when I would even try to connect with this fellow to get more details, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, Now, what do you think of this bloke? You think he's pulling my tail or he's telling the truth, uh, do you? I think they got some uh, werewolf, dogman, whatever it takes, roaming around the moors. I believe it. Stay. And I'll tell you what else I believe. I think this is a job for Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Stay on the path. <laughs> Don't go in the moors. Remember the Hound of the Baskervilles? Ooh. I always loved that. Gets I can watch those old there. movies. Yeah. Yeah, the Hound of the Baskervilles. I always liked that movie back from the 80s. I don't know if you ever saw it, called American Werewolf in London, too. You know, I never saw the whole oh. thing, but I did see the initial attack, attack when they made their way into that pub and everybody yeah. kind of uh, snubbed their nose to him and, and made him go back out. Oh, remember the name of the pub? Here we go, trivia. No, I have no idea. The Slaughtered Lamb. <laughs> oh, that's right. It had the picture of a lamb with a knife in it or something exactly. on the wall, right? And they, they come walking in and the guy misses the dartboard. And he's like, yeah. I never miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great, really hospitable. <laughs> the slaughtered lamb, you kind of knew that when you're walking into a pub called the slaughtered lamb. Yeah, maybe it's not a good idea, maybe not but they idea. had no uh, they had no choice. Remember, they no. it was like the only no, absolutely. I mean, it was that was a cool movie. You should uh 
try to get that DVD one of these days. I haven't yeah. seen it in years. It might be one of those movies that's terrible now, but back then it was super cool. Well, according to Ludo, DVDs are out. And I, I got back to Lou and I told him I just bought uh, the three DVD set. Uh, <laughs> I just drew a blank <laughs> from a, a buddy who uh, used to do the uh, uh, Survivor Man Bigfoot, Les Straub. Oh, yeah, Les Straub, yeah. Yeah, I bought his three DVD uh, Bigfoot seasons, uh, however many there were. I just wanted to have them uh, that I could go in and out of them and watch them in their entirety again oh, yeah. uh, as I have time. I mean, Lou probably doesn't have a cassette player in his car anymore either. I mean, come on. you know. Well, who doesn't cool. have a cassette player? Come on. I'm <laughs> just saying. What kind of car you drive? And I got an 8-track. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And our last letter, Bill, comes yep. in from Bob in Texas. And I think you talked to Bob, too. So he says, Bill and Kevin, love your show. It provides a great combination of education, terror, and humor, and is always fun and interesting to listen to. A couple of shows ago, you discussed the Noxie monster in Oklahoma from the 70s. Mm-hmm. I've been interested in Sasquatch since I first read Ivan T. Sanderson's book, A Bonneville Snowman, Legend Come to Life. By yeah. the way, folks, a great book. Mm-hmm. Really good, right? Yeah, there's so much data in there. Oh, it's just every time I come across one of these cryptids, I go to the index of that book, and they're in there. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 So he anyway, back, back to Bob. So he says, uh, uh, where was I here? A legend come to life. He said he's been involved in Sasquatch research since the 1970s. First with the Dallas-based Sasquatch Research Society, then with BFRO for the last 10 years with the TBRC, now NAWAC, Sasquatch activity in East Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Arkansas area has been frequent over the many years. But I had forgotten about the Noxie monster. In fact, our NAWAC website, I believe, has a narrative on the Noxie beast. I have copies of the newsletter of the old Dallas Bigfoot Research Society from 1978 to 1981, if you might be interested. I don't remember if we had investigated the Noxy monster, although it may have been done by others in the group before I joined in 1978 when I moved to Texas. My first investigation with the group was that of the, oh, let's see if I can say this. I don't know this one. Atchafalaya Basin in Louisiana, Atchafalaya Basin, in 1978, investigating a series of sightings on the campground. We had a radio news reporter with us, and the investigation was broadcast as a series on KLIF Radio in Dallas. Once again, I really enjoy your podcast. Keep up the great work. Bob in Arlington, Texas. Yeah, Bob, a big shout-out to Bob, another great listener to our podcast. I spoke to him the other day, Kev, for probably, I don't even know, uh hour, hour and a half. I don't even know. I just, I really enjoy talking to the people that are our listeners. Oh, yeah. Uh, very intelligent, very knowledgeable, uh, great listener, great people. And, uh, you know, he's he's locked and loaded with listening to our uh, podcast. Uh, because he likes our take on things and uh, where we're going uh, with what we're talking about, you know. Super and this cool. guy had, he was around the block a couple of times, you know. They were thoroughly involved uh, in investigating Bigfoot. Uh, and then he kind of, uh, I forget exactly how he put it, but he there was a separation between him and the last group that he was in. Uh, and I think he told me he's having some issues right now that prohibit him from uh, really getting involved again. You yeah, know, but, well, he was at it for a long time, Bill, going yeah. way back. I mean, it's super yeah. cool. I mean, Bob, thank you so much for writing in, and I'd love to see some of the newsletters from back then. Yeah, now, did you see, Kev, I forwarded that to you. He copied uh, He copied uh, a bunch of the newsletters to the one oh. email. Man, so I missed that. I'll have to check yeah. back again. 
Yeah, no, get in there, and it's a lot of stuff. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So, but that's super you gotta, cool. Uh, I I said to Bob, you know, I have a lot on my plate, and it's not that I don't appreciate being sent things, but the question is, uh, when I'll be able to get to them. Uh, so there's a lot going on. Our listener base is growing in leaps and bounds. And uh, there's plenty of stuff on our plate. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we still want the info. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to no it. No doubt about it. You know? We will get to it. <laughs> cool, awesome. Bill. Well, that's that's it for this week. Great podcast, folks. Thank you so much for listening. As Bill mentioned, boy, record numbers of listeners, new listeners coming in. And please, if you haven't left us a five-star review, please do so right now on the podcast player you're listening to. Just give us five stars. It means a lot because the more five stars, five-star reviews we get, the more listeners we get. And as we get more listeners, we can continue to improve the quality of the podcast. So thank you so much. And if you already left a review for five stars, Heck, leave another one. You know, you've listened to more than one podcast. Leave us another review. And thank you so much. And of course, most importantly, be safe while you're out there in this crazy COVID world. Yes, my friends. And if you're foolish enough to go stomping around in the Atchafalaya swamp, remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.